This morning's scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk with your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive." And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ in your heart let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, in which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As I said earlier, by way of introduction, I'm Joel Ferrett. If you haven't met me, um, I was part of Crosspoint Coast, um, and then I was sent out uh, September of last year to plant at the Cape with my wife Randy and our family and some other families from uh, Crosspoint Coast. And I just want to encourage you that God is raising up people in Cape Canaveral for his glory. And from what I see, he's raising up a people here in Pineda and throughout his, the county, all of it for his glory. And so um, that should be reason this morning for us to celebrate and just to rejoice that God is doing something, that he's moving, that he's working, that he's raising his church up, and we can celebrate that together. And so... By being here, I just wanted to, to, to let you know in case, and you're invited, come join us one week in the Cape. Uh, we meet in a pavilion, and it's, it's really nice. I was sharing with some of the other folks, I'm praying that it doesn't smell like fish, because I dropped some stuff off earlier, and it smelled like fish. But uh, that's one of the hazards. Also, pigeons happen to attack, so there's all kinds of things that can happen in the Cape. So if you're looking for a little excitement, come join us. But we have the privilege this morning of gathering together, whether here, whether in the Cape, whether in Palm Bay, whether throughout the world, we get to sit under the Word of God together. This morning, we're continuing in our sermon series, Hidden with Christ in God. Hidden with Christ. Last week, we spent time 
in the first four verses of this chapter, Colossians 3, and we really looked at what does it mean to be raised with Christ? What does it mean to have this position with God, with Christ in God? We looked at the justification piece. And so we're, we're diving into some of these doctrines before, in February, we launch into the book of Mark. And we're going to be there for a little while. At the rate that we go, we, we're going to be in Mark for a while. And it's going to be really sweet. And we're going to have the opportunity to invite people in and see who God was, see who Jesus was by what he's done and hear what he says about who he is. And so uh, even as we were thinking about that, well, what does that mean? Why do, why do we care who Christ is? And so we, we spent some time here in this passage because we see in this passage that we are hidden with Christ. So the question is not, why do we care what Christ is? Why do we care about anything else, right? And so this morning we get to press into that. And out of that justification piece, if we have right standing with God because of the gospel work done by Jesus Christ, his, his incarnation, he came and he became man, right? Because we had the, a sin problem, we have a sin problem. But Jesus Christ came and became a man and he lived a perfect life. And sometimes we skip over that and get right to the cross. But the reality is that we need that perfect righteousness on our behalf. We sang it in the songs that we've sung already this morning. There's a righteousness that we have that is not our own, that is on our record because of what Christ has done. And so we rejoice in that this morning. We also are thankful for the gospel work of Christ, that he atoned for our sin, that he washed our sin clean that he took the payment that was due on our behalf, he took that payment and suffered the wrath of God poured out on himself. And so we have to begin with those things, and not only that, but he was resurrected, right? And so his resurrection confirms that he has defeated sin and death, and that if all of the rest of Scripture is true, then that means that if we are in Christ, we too have defeated sin and death, and we can walk in the righteousness of Christ. And now he's ascended and he reigns on high at the right hand of the Father, praying for us, interceding for us, mediating on our behalf. And so this morning, we, we look at that, out of that identity, how then do we live? Sometimes, though, we jump straight to the, okay, what do I need to do? If you're like me, I want the checklist. I want to be able to check some boxes and say, yes, I'm doing what I need to do. The Bible often gives us uh, not a checklist, but a heart motivation, the way that we need to live. And so today we're going to look at that. What does it mean that we are hidden with Christ? How do I live out of that? So before we get into the what do we do, the sanctification piece, how are we being changed? How are we being molded? How are we becoming disciples of Christ? We need to look one more time. And hopefully it's not the last time. We're, we're probably going to sing it again later. But who are we in Christ? So verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ. That's us. He's talking about the church. If we have been raised with Christ, we are to seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So, we read this and we see that we are hidden with Christ in God. And not only are we hidden now, but we're, we're appearing with Christ. We will appear with Christ in glory. If we are in Christ, we are no longer our own. We were, 
We were two things, right? We were Christ and us. But now if we are in Christ, we are a new thing. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So we're something new in Christ. We no longer have our own identity, and he has his own identity. We are joined together in this new identity to be with Christ. You see, not only do we believe in the gospel work of Jesus that happened, um, but we also believe that Jesus is coming again, that he will come, he will restore the world, and he will make things right. He will restore it back to the original way that God had designed it, that we would be in communion and in relationship with God and with each other. So we look forward to the day when Jesus would come again. But we also have this gift right now that Christ is revealing himself through his church. That's amazing. When we look at each other, we see Christ being revealed to the world through his church. And so we we ask the question, if God is doing that, if he's revealing himself through his church, then what is this identity piece that we have before God? We are justified before God. How do we reflect to a world that needs to see Christ? How do we reflect Christ to them? How do we grow as image bearers in that reflection? You see, we follow the one who has called us. We follow Jesus We are in Christ. He has called us. We follow him. This is discipleship. This is growing in the image of our Savior. And we get to do this together, not individuals, but together as the church. With all of the different gifts and talents that we get to bring, we get to point to who Christ is. And we get to reflect him to a dying world that desperately needs to hear who Christ is. They don't need to see us. They need to see Jesus. And we have the promise that we are in Christ. And so when they see us, they see Jesus. But we are being made holy, right? We could ask that question, really, do they see Jesus when they see me? In every moment, are they seeing Jesus? No, but we are being changed into the image of our Savior. We are being made holy. It's part of that sanctification process. When we talk about gospel in the air and gospel on the ground, if you've gone through partnership, and we we're going through partnerships, so all of this is really fresh in my mind, but this idea, I'll just refresh you if maybe it's been a little bit, the idea of gospel in the air is God created, right? So you have the, the creation, and then you have the fall where we said on our own we could live, and yet then we have the redemption where God has come and he is He is redeeming and and restoring all things to himself. And then we have the gospel on the ground, which is more individual, and it's God regenerates our hearts. He changes us to where we would see him and long for him. That's a work of the Spirit. And God has justified us. We are justified in Christ. We talked about that last week. And then we see the sanctification piece where we are being made holy And then the last piece is glorification, where when Christ appears again, we will will appear with him, and we will glorify him fully. So today, we're going to spend time in that sanctification piece. What does it mean that God is revealing himself to the world through the church? How does he do that? How does he do that in our individual lives, and how does he do that in all of us together? Well, good news, 
Colossians 3, 5 through 17, that's where Paul goes. He presses into, hey, what does that look like? How do we do that? How do we appear with Christ? How does Christ appear in our lives? So we're going to read that, but I just want to pray and ask that God would uh, give us ears to hear, just like Mark was praying, that we would have scales dropped from our eyes, that we would see him in his glory, and that that would renew in us a deep affection for him, an affection that would change the way that we live. God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that you are um, revealing yourself Lord, that even the angels long to look and see, what, is that, what does that look like? That Christ would reveal himself through the church. Lord, I pray that you would um, help us to know you, love you, enjoy you today. Lord, help us to deal with sin. Help us to be honest about sin. That we would put off those old ways. That we would put on Christ. Thank you for doing this. We trust you. We thank you that we can pray with confidence because this is what you long to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So verses 5 through 11 really tell us, hey, put sin to death. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. If you're like me, you've read that, and each one of those things you've said, doing well, I could use some help doing well, right? We, we go through those and we're like, man, I got that. I got that. Ooh, that one hits hard, right? And we begin to just go through and compartmentalize these things, these lists of sins. We categorize these sins. And maybe you're like me and you even make a hierarchy. Well, those are really bad. These aren't so bad. Everybody deals with these, right? Those are the ways that we justify sin. But you know that Sin was such a big deal that Jesus had to come and die for it. And I forget that as soon as I begin to do those things. And so if we just move through this list and, and take them individually and say, oh, that's okay, that's not that big of a deal, we're, we're missing the point. We deal with sin. We all have sin. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, and then he says, which is idolatry. And I don't know if he's saying that covetousness is idolatry. Or he's saying all of these things are idolatry. When you think about um, what, is the, what is the sin that takes place in all of these things, it's that idea that on my own I can live. I don't need a Savior. I can do these things. And so I run to all of these other things, these idols Tim Keller's super helpful talking about, again, going through partnerships, so maybe you're remembering. But there's root idols, right? The root idols of comfort, of control, of power, and of approval, right? That almost all of these other things that we run to fall somewhere in there. And so my, one of the ones that I wrestle with all the time, having five children, you would think that I wouldn't wrestle with this one, but I wrestle with control all the time. 
I think that I can just come up with these plans to, to get everything in order and I can control my situation. And yet God in his kindness strips me of those ideas. He's so kind. And in the moment, it does not feel like kindness. But God is kind in stripping me of my want for control. I think even in the moment when we think about COVID, can we think about a pandemic being grace from God? If we thought we had any control this past year, going into the year, going into 2020, God has stripped us of the idea that we have any control, that we could prevent, that by wearing masks we could prevent sickness, that by um, we, could, we could navigate all of this, that we could navigate the political realm, that we could do any of those things. God has stripped us of control. And, and we've always been stripped of control, but he's at least exposed that in our own lives, that we are, we are not in control, but we serve one who is. We run to one who is. So I'm just thankful for that gift of grace. Comfort. Man, that's, that's a huge one for us. We, we want that comfort. We don't want to, to be dependent. We want to have comfort and security. And yet, one of the other things that we're doing is we're reading the Bible in 90 days, trying to read the Bible in 90 days, and we're looking, and, and we just got through where Jesus is leading the Israelites through the, through the wilderness. And every day he promised that he would provide for them. And he gave them manna and he gave them uh, meat. And then he said at the end of that day, you have to burn it. And if you're thinking like I am, I'm thinking, man, if we could just say that, that would be more comfortable. We would be able to rest in some of those things. But God has always designed that his people would depend on him fully. That our comfort would be found in him and him alone. And when we think of power, I, I, just having gone through the, the Psalms of Ascent, and every time they wanted to, to, to talk about who the Lord Yahweh was, they would point to His work in creation, that He is powerful. And yet we can't create. We can't, we can't do those things. But God has done it. And approval, all of us are longing for approval. The funny thing is we just read that we are fully approved in Christ. When God looks at us, he sees the son and he approves of his son, his son whom in him he is well pleased. And so that is our standing. And yet we strive for the approval of man. We strive for the approval of God. We think that we can add to the work of Christ somehow. And yet we are fully approved in God. So when we think about all of these sins and how they are, they are idolatry. We have everything that we need in Christ, so put off that old way. We want to put to death all of these sins. And how do we do that? How do we put to death this sin? We remember who we are. We speak those truths that we just talked about. You are approved because of what Christ has done on your behalf. You do not need to pretend or perform any longer. You are as right as you will ever be because of the work of Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ. You have a power available to you that can change you to make you holy. 
Christ is working by a spirit in us to make us holy, to change us from what we once were to what, we, to what he's called us to be. That's powerful. You have a comfort in the peace that you receive from Christ that cannot be taken from you, whether, no matter what the circumstances. And so we remind each other together as the church, this is who you are in Christ. You don't have to go back to that old way of striving that old way of wanting all of these extra things, you have everything you need in Christ, but we have to hear it from each other and we have to speak it to each other. And God has given us this to do, not just for a couple hours on Sunday mornings, but for every day of our lives that we get to speak it to, it, to each other, to be reminded that's the gift of the church. And then at the end of this first section where he talks about putting off sin, putting off this idolatry. He says in verse 11, Here there is no, not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. When you want to get to the point where we're really wrestling with the sin, it's when God begins to strip us of all these other identities. These identities are tr they're true, like they, they're realities for these people. And they're realities for us. We have identities. I'm a father, right? I'm a husband. I have, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. I have these identities. And yet, I don't have any of those identities that compare to the identity that I have in Christ. I am with Christ. I am part of Christ. And so all of these other identities are swept away. But we want to cling to them. We want to hold on to them. We want to bring something to the table. Right? We want to be able to say, but, but I'm doing this. And yet God strips us of all of our identities and he hides us so that we cannot even be seen because we are hidden with Christ in God. And yet in my rebellion, I want to just wave a hand so that people can kind of see I'm hidden in Christ, but I'm still here, right? It's still me. And yet, we're wrestling in that tension that all these other identities are stripped away. Jesus in um, Luke, he, he had just cast out a, a demon and he goes into this parable, right? So we're talking about putting off, putting to death the old way, putting to death sin. And so as we put that to death, there has to be this refilling because like I said, Jesus in Luke begins, and he's talking about a parable where if the demon is cast out and then he comes back later and he finds the home clean, why would he not bring seven more demons in, right? So as we're cleaning this out, as we're dying to ourself, as we're dying to the sin, we have to put on something else. We need to be filled with something else. We need to have a new identity as we get rid of all these other identities. And that's what Paul does in verses 12 through 17. He talks about this new identity. We begin to look like Christ by the transforming work of the Spirit. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Again, he will not get to the doing unless you know who you are in Christ. Before he tells you what to put on, he tells you who you are. You are holy and beloved and you are chosen by God. 
You cannot get to the other things unless you know that. Because you're not going to be the one putting them on. Christ is putting them on you. Put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you, must, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see, all of these characteristics, if we took them, we would say, man, I want that in my friend. I want that in my spouse. I want that in the people around me. I want them to be compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient. We long for this. Those kind of friends create a good relationship. Because if we're both laying down our lives for each other, we can truly live together. But the only way that, that happens is if we, have been put on, if we have put on Christ. Because Christ is the only one that walks in this perfectly. He was compassionate. He was kind. He was humble. He was meek and he was patient. We cannot conjure these things up. Christ has walked that perfect righteousness for us. And so, this sanctification piece is the working out of what God has already done on our behalf. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we, have, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is not dependent on us being able to do it. God's already prepared these things for us to walk in. And as Christ shines through His church, these good works happen. These good traits show up and people say, man, there's something special there. There's a change that's taking place. That person is not the same that they were. But we have to be explicit about why that change has happened. I was listening to Jeff Vanderstelt. I, I enjoy listening to him speak. And he was talking about, uh, he told a story about a guy who was at work and he had a coworker, And he thought this guy was great, man. He, he loved his wife well. He was always on time. He did great things at work. And then they just, you know, he was like, man, if I could ever do that, that would be awesome. And then sometime later, that, that guy that's thinking about the other guy goes to a conference and he hears about the grace of Jesus Christ and his, and his life is transformed. And he comes back and he's like, man, you, you got to hear this. I, I've, I've found a savior. And the other guy goes, yeah, I'm a Christian too. And he's like, how did how have you never told me about that? See, I've looked at you and I've seen you do all of these good things and I've thought, man, if I could only be like that, but I didn't know that that's what changed you. And so as God is working these things in us, there needs to be this explicit word that we're giving that says, Christ, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Because if we just try to do these things and, and become the image of Christ without telling people that it's Christ who is doing this in us, they're going to be left with either shame that they're not doing those things or self-righteousness when they do them. But if we all together point to who Jesus is and that if you see anything beautiful in me, it's Christ, we can rejoice together. We can encourage one another. We can build each other up 
And we give glory to the one to whom glory is due. And so we can't just see this and say, man, I need, to, I need to do these things. I need to be more compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient. Right? That's, more, that's this moralism. And moralism is going to detract from who Christ is. It's going to take away the glory from Christ. Moralism is just another way that we say, on my own I can live. We're just as rebellious as running into sin, blatant sin. We're just as rebellious when we run and think that we can do it ourselves. Both ways say, on my own I can live. But the reality is that we cannot. And so we run to Jesus. And we look to him and we, we lift up our eyes like it's talking about in verse 3, seeking the things that are above where Christ is. Setting our minds are the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And I just want you to look in that last paragraph. Three times Paul talks about being thankful. He says at the end of verse 15, and be thankful. He says in 16, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And at the end of verse 17, giving thanks to God. What is going to, what's going to be the label of the church? The label of the church is going to be worship and gratitude to our God who has done all of these things. We should be a people that are thankful. When we think of what Christ has done, that should produce in us a gratitude that changes the way we live. It changes everything about us. So the same way that we put off the old self and put to, put to death sin is the same way that we put on Christ. We remember who we are and we tell each other as the church, God has gifted us to do this together. You, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old things have passed away. If you are in Christ, then you are his peace. You can walk in peace. You can walk in all of the things of Christ. And so we do both of those by faith. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do we do this? We do this by faith, trusting that, that what the word says is true, that if I am in Christ, I'm a new creation. Christ is dwelling in me. He is appearing in me. He's, he's transforming us and conforming us to his image. He's sanctifying us. He's making us holy. As disciples of Christ, we're growing in our understanding of who he is, and that understanding has to lead into doing. It cannot just be a head knowledge. It has to change the way that we live. You see, verses 11 and 17 have some similarities, both of them ending the putting off of sin and the putting on of Christ. Verse 11 says at the very end, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 17 says, 
And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We cannot compartmentalize this. We can't say, um, well, this is for this time. Um, all of it. Everything. If your idea of being the church is the two hours you spend here, plus the couple hours of community group, maybe a Bible study, maybe a triad, then we're missing it. But I don't think that that's what we think anyways. I think that Crosspoint Coast believes that we are disciples and every hour, every minute, every second that we have is Christ. I love this definition of disciple that Paul Tripp uses. He says this in his book, Lead. For him, a disciple... Being part of the body of Christ is an identity that doesn't just define a set of gatherings he attends, but redefines everything in his life, everything about him, his relationships, his work, his time, his money, is being transformed because he is part of the transformational community of disciples called the church. Everything. What's the cost? Everything. What do we get? Everything. We get Christ, who is everything, who meets every need and satisfies every desire that we have. But we have to put off this old way of doing things. We put on Christ, and we do it together as a church, right? Paul's writing this to a group of people. The church in Colossae. That they would be transformed together. That they would together do these things. And so we have this gift today, a call. And it, it's, a, it's a high call. <laughs> like it, There's a, a high price to pay everything. And what do we gain? We gain everything together. So I would challenge you this week. Are we thinking in those terms? Are we segregating some things out? Well, my job is different, right? My job I have to have. So, and if I have to have it, then that means I can't lose it, right? And so sometimes we back off on some things because we, we, don't want to be, we don't want to be confrontational, but the reality is that what are we confronting? We're confronting sin, and what are we confronting it? We're confronting it with grace. That's not confrontational. That's good news. That's beautiful. Why would we ever hold that back? And so that this week, I pray that, that we would begin to walk as a disciple of Christ. And not just begin, because we've been doing it, but can we continue to walk as a disciple of Christ? But I pray that maybe there's somebody today that for the first time you're hearing this and you're saying, so I have to give up everything, but I get everything. Yeah, and it's sweet. And we're going to walk with you in that and, and tell you what that means how that plays out in daily life. We get to do that as a church. You see, this idea of sanctification, it looks like Christ becoming our everything. When I talk about becoming holy, I'm not talking about getting rid of the bad things. I'm talking about Christ becoming my everything. Those bad things are going to go away. The sin is going to go away from my life as Christ becomes my everything. Put on Christ. He is all and in all. Trusting that Christ provides everything that I need.
Trusting that Christ is my joy. Trusting that Christ is my identity. Not one of my identities. He is my identity. He is our identity as a people. And so that's what Paul's calling us to. Set your eyes on things that are above. Look to Christ. See Him. And as you see Him, we get changed by His Word and by His Spirit to become image bearers of Him as we chase after Him, as we follow after Him together as the church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank You, Lord, for the encouragement that we have in Your Word. God, I pray both for um, those that would want to go out and do like I, like me, that we would just rest and say, no, God, you've done it. And I pray for those others like me that, that believe those things to be true, but then it doesn't play out in our lives. Lord, would you change us? Can we pray with confidence? God, will you work in your church for your glory? Not that we would have the approval of the world, Lord, because we know that, that as we're changed to your glory, we've seen how the world treated you. So, Lord, would we not seek the approval of anyone but you? And may we find it there, Lord. May we believe that your word is true. God, I just thank you so much for the encouragement that you are transforming your church into the image of yourself. I pray that we'd rest in that, that it would change everything about us, Lord, that we would lose everything and we would gain everything in Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.